Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas with Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to talk about self-sufficiency for a little bit with you. I have written a lot on it. I produced videos, a webinar, a one-hour webinar. We also have several podcasts. And the reason that we produce a lot of content around this theme is because this is one of our most significant struggles. Self-sufficiency is the battle within our souls to trust God or trust ourselves. Our Adamic tendency is to trust ourselves and, of course, we know that our best option is to trust God, but to cross that bridge can be hard for us. And so that's why we want to produce these transformative resources. That's why I want to share with you another resource that we have on this all-important subject. As a matter of fact, I've titled this, Mind Mapping, a Detailed Study in Self-Reliance. If you're not familiar with mind mapping, well, I hope that this will help you. And I would love for you to go to our, uh, go to this resource, Mind Mapping, a Detailed Study in Self-Reliance. And you can find it at lifeovercoffee.com and you can actually see what a mind map is. Think about a mind map as a road system that takes you uh, to different destinations, different possibilities. I have I've used mind mapping for years. Uh, it is like maybe a, a family tree where you see all these tributaries, but this is actually better. A mind map can be more detailed. It also opens up to multiple possibilities and solutions. And I've used this tool many years, even in counseling, where I would sit down as I'm taking notes of an individual. And because they're sharing so much information, sometimes diverse information, and I'm trying to collate it and to bring it all into a point because it's going in multiple directions or there could be multiple shaping influences in an individual's life, different causes causes different effects. As you can see, there is a lot of detail in the analysis, and mind mapping is just one tool that can effectively help you to collect all the data and bring it to one point to one solution. And you can see a mind map on self-reliance here in the article that I'm going to present to you. We have a lot of mind maps, by the way. If you go to the footer of our website, you can click shareables. Those are our shareable graphics. And when you open that page, you'll see several boxes. One will be infographics. I trust you have already accessed those. But another box is mind maps. And what you'll see are a lot of mind maps that I have created for different purposes. And by the way, this mind map on self-reliance will be there, but it's also inside of this article. For those of you who are watching the video, Thank you very much. And for those that are listening to the podcast, I am glad that uh, you are with me. But you really want to visually take a look at this mind map. And so I would encourage you to come to the actual article that you're actually watching or that you're listening to now. Again, mind mapping a detailed study in self-reliance because I want you to visually walk through the structure of the mind map so that you can see what I am saying. This is also a memory aid. If you can read what I'm saying and then visually see it, that visual connection to what you're reading will allow it to work through that gradient process of memorization where it sinks down into 
into your psyche, into your soul. And then as it does that, you will begin to own it, which is a significant process or aspect of progressive sanctification. Unfortunately, we live in a a quick and easy like, like, like world on social media, and we just don't stop long enough to think. The gift of reflection and meditation and extended prayer, those seem to be lost disciplines on us, and it affects our sanctification. And so that's why we take the time to build out these resources in a read, watch, listen format. And then that's why we also have so many, we have hundreds of visual aids uh, at lifeovercoffee.com. And map, mind mapping is just one of those tools that we use. And so let's talk about self-reliance. I will try to explain the best I can what it is in the mind map uh, for those of you that are uh, not reading this. Self-reliant people live in a self-constructed, self-sustained worship structure, and it diverts their faith in God to rely on themselves, hoping that they can engineer or predetermine outcomes. They have an objective in mind, and they want to will themselves into making that come to fruition, and they do that by relying on themselves because they are unsure if God will come through for them. It is not anyone's real world because complete self-sufficiency is impossible. It's an impossible feat to achieve. No finite soul can be totally reliant. Not even Jesus had that ability in his humanness. Jesus was not 98% man and 2% God. He was not a superhuman. He was 100% man as he lived and walked among us, and he was not self-reliant or self-sufficient. God did not create us to be autonomous creatures, but to live within a hierarchy of trust and obedience, and he is at the top of that hierarchical order. Jesus grew physically, as we read in Luke. He got tired, as we see in John 4. He became thirsty in John 19. He hungered in Matthew 4. He experienced physical weakness in Matthew 4 and Luke 23. And then he died. To pursue a self-reliant lifestyle is to push yourself past the boundaries of what Jesus would not dare to do. He resisted this temptation by choosing to do something counterintuitive to self-sufficiency. He humbled himself to the will of God, always seeking his Father's will, even giving up many hours in prayer to know the purposes and the directives of his Father. Paul talked about this in Philippians 2. Here's a partial snapshot there. Though he was in the form of God, talking about Christ, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Self-sufficiency is the self-deceiving and isolating process of trying to be stronger while resisting other people's help especially help from the Lord. It is a sinful desire to build a lifestyle and a reputation that releases a person from trusting someone else, specifically trusting God. They believe in themselves. Now, the question is, where does that come from? Was it the installation of an Adamic tendency that came at birth? All of us have that Adamic tendency to rely on ourselves, born in Adam, and so it comes with the human package when we are born the first time. And then coupled with that, for some people, we can learn through many disappointments not to trust others. How many times have I heard that? Uh, it is the teenager who uh, her girlfriend breaks up with him or, or he breaks up with her. And she said, I will never love again. That is a self-reliant spirit born out of disappointment. Older people do the same thing as well. Christ resisted this habituating choice to self-sufficiency. He set aside his glorious reputation and his powerful co-equality with the Father to become a dependent human being. He embraced human weakness so that he could tap into the strength of the divine. Though self-reliance and God-reliance are similar in that they promote a person, there is an eternal difference between them. The God-reliant individual desires to make God's name great wherever they are. The self-reliant person craves to make their name great. The self-sufficient person presents the oddest of ironies. While their self-reliance projects the image of being strong and in control, they are actually weak and they are not in control like they think they are or like they want you to think they are. Like all humanity, they stand in need of God's empowering grace. Self-reliance is smoke and mirrors. It's a sham. It is a form of insanity to pretend to be something that you are not. We are broken and depraved clay pots. We are unable and incapable of accomplishing and sustaining anything outside of God's proactive intervention and provision. We are God-dependent, whether we want to admit it or not. The world is clamoring to promote themselves while trying to prove to anyone who will listen how they have it all together because they have tapped into their true selves and they have achieved their definition of greatness, whatever that is. I love Psalm 51, 17. David said it this way when he came to the end of himself, when he finally realized that he can't be self-reliant, that he is not going to be able to create a world that's going to fake out his nation, that's going to deceive his wife. Uh, he he uh, uh, killed uh, Uriah. He tried to be so deceptive. He was leaning into self-reliance. And as he said in Psalm 32, that the more he kept silent about his sin, the heavy hand of God came down upon him to where he was shriveling up physically and spiritually. And then in Psalm 51, when the self-reliant 
I'm going to create my own reputation world. When it all came collapsing down on him, he said this in verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise he recognized that it was not these contrived and conjured up works that was going to impress God. No, God didn't want our reputation, and he doesn't want our self-reliance. He doesn't want us trying to create objectives and outcomes according to our own agendas and preferences. No, what he wants is a broken spirit, a contrite heart. And while the world, they try to dress to impress they are hopeless. They are bankrupt, frantically resisting humanity's collective death march. Real success has never been through self-effort, self-esteem, or self-reliance. Those three pursuits always lead to competitive individualism. True success begins with a broken and humble posture before the Lord. We find the most profound picture of this gospel irony in the cross of Christ. His death on Adam's tree was God's strength and wisdom profoundly put on display. Listen to how Paul discussed it while instructing the Corinthians about this gospel irony in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Personal success is not through might or power. It is through weakness, as displayed by the humble heart who is willing to submit to God moment by moment, especially when life does not make sense. And I think it's important to recognize those three words moment by moment because we will always have to come back to the well of God-reliance because our Adamic tendencies will always lean the needle toward resting and trusting in ourselves. The nature and expectation of self-reliance are to reject God. It is a choice as to whether we want to serve ourselves or serve the Lord. Because Adam continues to abide in us, Adam ever liveth and he will always be tempting us. There will be that temptation to choose his dark path, trusting in himself, carving out his own path, or walking in the light. Christians intuitively know that we cannot trust the Lord and ourselves simultaneously. And though Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about money, he laid out a universal truth about the impossibility of simultaneously serving God and man when he said in Luke 16, he said, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Because the temptation to be self-reliant is every person's struggle, that is why I detailed out this mind map. And again, I, I would just appeal to you to go to this article, 
mind mapping, a detailed study in self-reliance. It will help you to better understand the challenges and the solutions regarding our universal tension with God. Self-reliance is a dysfunction of the heart that speaks specifically to how we relate to God. He calls us to believe in Him. And because trust is at the heart of the issue, when you look at this mind map, what you're going to notice at the very bottom, I have several synonyms to the word trust. I have belief and hope, confidence, of course, trust and faith. And I use those five words redundantly on purpose because I want to convey the significance of trusting the Lord. That is the heart of the issue. That is our resistance. That is our tension. We don't want to trust God. We're always pulled toward Adamic tendencies. And so at the very bottom, I have belief and and hope confidence, trust, and faith. And I'm not using the word trust or belief in a salvific sense, meaning you're not a Christian if you struggle with self-reliance. So I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about our sanctification. The problem with self-reliance is not the exclusive domain of the unbeliever. Anyone can be an occasional functional atheist, even though they have been born a second time. Because it is impossible to trust God perfectly, 10 out of 10, moment by moment, every second of the day, we must believe at salvation to be born again, and then we re-believe repeatedly throughout our day, throughout our lives. We must guard our hearts daily while contextualized in a community that encourages and challenges our faith. If we do not place ourselves in this kind of community, then fear will begin to rule our hearts. And our cry will be similar to the gentleman in Mark's gospel. You remember Mark 9, 24, where it says, Immediately the child's father cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I love that short sentence. That is a good bumper sticker right there. I'm not into bumper stickers. Actually, I've never had one on any automobile I've ever owned. Not really a big fan but if I had one, I think I would I would consider putting that on it. I believe, help my unbelief. Some days we can just be functional atheists, and that's what I mean there, that we are just assured of heaven, that we have been born again because it's not by our works. God regenerates us. We are born again because of his power. He raises us from the dead, and we will be glorified in some eschatological future moment. And that is just incorruptible. It's undefiled, and it is our assurance. But as we live out our lives in this world, we can be functional atheists. Uh, We can be unbelievers. We can keep going back and leaning into self-reliance. Adam began to fear when he chose to unbelieve in the Garden of Eden. And so the logic says that we will trust someone or something else if we do not trust God. Those are the options. And so we can be truly born again. We can be believing believers. 
But the most common and straightforward option is to trust in ourselves when things are not going according to our expectations and we want to curve life to meet our preferred outcome, and that creates a tension because we intuitively know that we are not trustworthy. We cannot trust ourselves even though we do it. There is always an element of fear when we rely on ourselves. Adam had enough self-awareness to have self-suspicion that this is not going well with him when he was depending on himself. And that's what he told the Lord. He said, I heard your voice and I was afraid. Whenever we choose to rely on ourselves, you can expect fear to come up out of our hearts. And that's what you see on, on the mind map. You will see fear creeping up out of a heart of of unbelief. And so fear will be setting right above our hearts when we choose not to trust God. Most pretending to be strong people have difficulty admitting their fears. Their self-reliant worldview disdains and dismisses fear. They resist this accommodation for what they consider an aberration of the psyche. They can't own the fact that they are afraid because they want to project that they have it together. They want to project self-reliance. And so above the ground, what you'll see on the mind map, above the ground will be their life that they live. But when you get, that they project, but when you get into the self-reliant worship structure, what you will see is a heart of unbelief. And then out of that unbelief will be fear. They're just not quite comfortable because they intuitively know they're relying on themselves and not on God who raises the dead. Admitting fear goes against their carefully crafted, self-reliant image. And so fear on the map is what you will find in a self-reliant person's heart. In fact, you can draw a heart around the word fear. And then you'll also notice that the word fear on the mind map, it has tributaries that leak out from it. Tributaries like worry, anxiety, stress, and concern. Those words glom on to fear. In fact, you need things like worry, anxiety, stress, and concern because they have to feed fear. To keep fear alive, you need feeders. And there's four feeders to keep fear alive and functioning in the self-reliant heart. And the longer fear stays alive and active in the heart, the more the person will be prone to doubt. Doubt is the natural outworking of fear. This fear to doubt construct works out in the self-reliant person's behaviors. For example, he will be afraid or he will be anxious about an outcome that may or may not happen. But rather than trusting God... He will default to a habituated self-reliant mode to regain control of the situation. Now, one of the most common modes to restore order to his self-controlled, self-perpetuated universe is anger. And so here is a person not trusting God. There is fear operative in his heart. He is doubtful that he's going to get what he wants. And so rather than trusting God, he will choose anger 
to get his worship structure back in line, to regain control of his self-reliant universe. Anger is a manipulative tactic of the fearful person to regain control of what he believes that he is losing. In those anxious moments, he is unsure God will come through for him, so he takes matters into his own hands. Though fear and self-reliance appear to be antithetical, self-reliance appears to be strong and in control. I got it all together. And it just doesn't make sense that fear would be in cahoots with self-reliance. But they actually are. They work together. Self-reliance does an excellent job of masking a heart of fear. But if you unpack the self-reliant person, the individual who is not trusting God, fear has to reside down at the bottom in his heart. He has to have enough self-reliance to know that, I mean, enough self-awareness to know that he is a fake. A person will mask fears and doubts and insecurities, and they will do that in many ways. And you'll see that on the mind map. And what they will do is that they'll create this comfort, a way of masking their fear. Comfort is a, has ancillary tributaries that feed out of that. Things that comfort me to help me feel better, to satiate my fear. And some of the ancillary tributaries that feed out of this desire to seek comfort, to feel better, to compensate for fear are things like apparent appearance, money, and relationships. Being a god of your own world is hard. Self-reliance is exhausting. And so the self-reliant person must find rest from running his universe and so he does this by seeking means of comfort, a respite from self-centered kingdom-building work. And so his go-to comfort cravings will depend on the kind of person that he, he, that he is and the kind of sin that he enjoys. And so this fear, like a duck going across a lake, the duck appears to be calm on the outside, got it all under control. But un underneath the water, his little ducky feet are just going 100 miles an hour. And the self-reliant person is like that too. And so when this fear is so operative underneath the surface of his life, he has to seek comfort and escape some way of satiating what is going on in his heart. Let me give you a few examples. Reputation. This would be one of his go-to comfort things. He finds comfort in building his reputation. His self-made greatness feels good. It brings comfort to his soul. He can go to nearly inexhaustible lengths to maintain and pr promote his I am in control, I am somebody image. And so reputation will be a good comfort satiation for what is going on in his heart. Pornography would be another. He finds comfort through women, whether on the internet, in his spouse, or someone else. The porn addict creates a theater of the mind where his women are under his spell, where he can control and manipulate them. Whenever he needs a self-important booster shot, he can turn to his women of choice to feed his ego. And so there's reputation and pornography. And then number three is anger. 
He finds comfort by keeping his world in tight-fisted control through anger. He uses passive or aggressive anger as a manipulative tactic to stay in charge. Now, caveat here. He rarely chooses anger outside of a few close friends because he wants to maintain his reputation. And so typically only his family and maybe a few very close associations will see his anger. Because he is not God, because he cannot rule his universe like God, he has to whittle his world down to something more manageable, something that he can control and something that he can perpetuate. This smallest universe is his comfort zone, which you will see at the top of the mind map. His comfort zone is the place where he enjoys what he has created. He is in, in control as long as he can keep his life contained in his hermetically sealed universe. Of course, the problem with this worldview is that life is just not that neat. Life is not that contained. Life is not that manageable. Life was not meant to be controlled by our self-effort. God calls us to live by faith in Him, not by faith in ourselves or our abilities. To keep things under our control, you will quickly discern if things are not under our control. If you struggle with self-reliance, then how you respond when life moves out of your comfort zone will let you know if this person is relying on God or relying on himself. Anything outside the box in the mind map at the top of the at the top of the mind map is out of that person's control. Those moments will force this individual to make a pivotal decision to trust God or to try to regain control of his world according to his preferred outcome. His responses to life situations will reveal the, the actual motivations of his heart, whether his default is self-reliance or God-reliance. The self-reliant person will not humble himself to God. He will not experience the redemptive work that only God can do. The self-sufficient soul will exercise whatever means necessary to regain control of his life. His determination to be self-reliant will make it hard for him to trust others, to be vulnerable, to be weak, to expose himself, to let people on the other side of that facade of reputation that he promotes. He struggles to perceive there could be any other way of doing things. His native response is to demand, to manipulate, and will his way through the difficulty. He has an I can do all things through me who strengthens me mentality. He will alienate himself from his friends if he does not repent of his self-reliance as demonstrated by building community and letting people behind the facade. The self-reliant soul promotes individualism, promoting, uh, perpetuating disunity, dividing people, hurting feelings, creating misunderstandings, and instilling relational dysfunction. I have titled this Mind Mapping, a Detailed Study of Self-Reliance. I would love for you to go to lifeovercoffee.com and to get this resource. You can read what I just shared with you. You can watch it in video. You can listen to the podcast, but I want you to get this mind map so that you can work through it in detail. It will make much more sense. Self-reliance is a crisis of faith. The cure brings us back to the gospel. If you struggle with self-reliance, as I do, you must relearn how to re-believe. 
Self-reliance is a loud and proud declaration that God is insufficient to care for your life. You may be a believer in that you have been born a second time, but you are not entirely trusting the Lord in your sanctification. And so if you struggle with self-reliance, as I do, I have some questions for you that I hope will assist you in thinking about how to change. Number one, what is a circumstance that tempts you to rely on yourself? Now, for most of us, it will be a recurring fear of something happening in our lives. Nearly all of us, I would imagine, have a fear, something that is inside of us, and that is the one thing, that is the one door that we do not want to open. That is the one thing that we do not want to happen. It could be uh, because of something that happened to you in your childhood. It just could be the way that you think, but it is a weak link in your chain. Nearly all of us, I would imagine, have that, and that circumstance will tempt us to overcorrect correct uh, the situation, to oversteer the car, to try to manipulate the situation so it doesn't happen to us. I've heard many people say this through the years. Many people go into ministry for this reason. I've heard that. This happened to me, and so I want to dedicate my life to doing that. That's not necessarily bad or wrong. I'm not saying that, uh, but sometimes we can be motivated by fear, something that happened to us, and it can lead to a self-reliant spirit. Number two, what do you think is motivating you to take matters into your own hands? Are you reacting to a childhood-shaping influence? Is it just how you have always been? Why are you motivated this way? Number three, will you articulate why you are this way? If you can write it down, if you could discuss it with someone why you are this way, it will bring clarity in processing what's wrong. I can't overstate this point. To be able to articulate with clarity what's going on inside of you, it will help distill these things in your mind to force yourself to sit down and to write through what these issues are or to have give and take dialogue with someone who has the competency to speak to you in a reciprocating way that will help you through that articulation, whether on paper or with another individual will help you to get into what's wrong, which will lead you to a solution. Number four, what is it about God that tempts you not to rely on Him? Now, I'll help you with this. There's only three answers to that question. If a person is not trusting God, there will be one of three things. Usually, it's a combination of all three. I won't trust God because I'm afraid of Him. I won't trust God because I'm angry with Him. I don't trust God because I don't understand Him the way that I should. Now think about it this way. Peter was on a boat and on a dark and uh, stormy night. Christ was asking him to rely on him, not to rely on Peter. There would be three reasons why Peter would not get out of that boat, why he would not trust God or trust Christ. I will not trust you if I'm angry at you. I will not trust you if I'm afraid of you. I will not trust you if I don't know who you are. Those are the three reasons, and you'll have to get inside of those to see why it's hard for you to trust the Lord. Number five, will you find a friend who will walk with you through this journey? The solution is to restore this gospel dysfunction of the heart. It will not auto-correct. You must explore and repair the brokenness. And so with whom will you share this information? Mind mapping, a detailed study, and self-reliance. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. 
Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.